Hey, this is Vanessa. I'm the Prevention Services Coordinator at King County Sexual Assault Resource Center, or KSARC. This is Building Resilience, a project with the purpose of equipping people with what they need to end sexual violence. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share a conversation that I had with a former KSARC client named Stephanie, who is a parent of three child survivors of sexual abuse. Years ago, her then very young children disclosed that a family friend was abusing them, and Stephanie, her family, and their children have been working together to heal from the abuse. In this episode, Stephanie shares her experience of caring for herself and her family and how gaining more knowledge about sexual abuse and trauma has both empowered her and helped her with the healing process. Before sharing our conversation, I want to draw attention to a couple of key points that Stephanie makes. First, that a majority of sexual violence is committed by someone the victim knows, like a family member, a partner, a classmate, a coworker, acquaintance, or family friend. According to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, in 8 out of 10 cases of rape, the victim or survivor knew the person who sexually assaulted them. This fact comes as a shock to many people who often imagine a situation of stranger danger, like perpetrators being a strange dude that pops out of the bushes or luring kids with candy or puppies. In reality, most of the time, the harm is caused by someone the victim and survivor knows and trusts. This brings me to a second point. You'll hear Stephanie mention grooming several times in our conversation, and we'll definitely cover that in a future episode. Grooming is a process of someone building a relationship, connection, or trust with a child or young person so that they can manipulate, exploit, or abuse them. As Stephanie mentions, grooming can also extend to the young person's family or friends to gain trust and appear to be like a safe, supportive person. Engaging in conversation about the realities of sexual violence can help us build awareness and to understand how to best prevent future violence. Just as a heads up, this episode contains discussion of child physical and sexual abuse, as well as mention of suicide ideation and depression. My name is Stephanie, and I am married. I have a husband and three kids um, who are now almost 17, 12, and 11. And at the time of the abuse, they were, I would say, four, six, and 11. So, okay. So it's been some time. Yeah. Yeah. do you mind telling us a bit about the background of the abuse that happened? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess ours, I don't know. I mean, I think everyone does have a unique situation. Mm-hmm. So um, everyone's is different in that aspect. But ours was a non-family member. Um, I would say friend slash acquaintance. Um, the interesting part is that they were affiliated with an organization. So there was that whole component too that got mm-hmm. a little messy um, because we had to kind of work with that as well. But um, yeah, so the abuse had been going on for maybe a little over a year for the younger two. Um, and then there was an attempt with my oldest one who was again, 10, 11, 12 at the time. And she, you know, got away, I guess. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what was the disclosure process like? Yeah. So that was super interesting. Um, so just for some background on 
our family. Um, I had worked a lot with children who had experienced sexual abuse um, through volunteering. So I had had disclosures to me whether they were intentional or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So in one sense, I was somewhat used to hearing disclosures um, and, you know, remaining calm and not asking leading questions and all of that. So um, but I will say it's quite different when it's a family member or your child. Mm-hmm. Um, so my son, Luke, actually disclosed first. And I still remember that day vividly. He was, um, he had actually um, displayed some signs. He was, um, I'm not sure how much I can say, but he was kind of rubbing his the private part area Mm -hmm. a little bit. And to me, that was unusual behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a little out of the ordinary. Um, So I I had a baseline to go off of. So I did kind of check in with him and I was like, Hey, like what's going on? I noticed you were doing this. And he um, at first, like just denied anything and wouldn't Mm -hmm. say anything. And I asked him like, has anyone like touched her private parts and um, also some, some context. We we're a very open family. Like we talk about, you know, appropriate touching. We talk about secret versus surprise. Mm, Like this wasn't, um, it's not like we didn't talk about this Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And I can kind of go over that later with prevention talk, (laughs) but um, he, um, it took a few times and I actually, he, got him to he was like actually yes something has happened and he still wouldn't tell me and I said can you just whisper it in my ear would you feel comfortable whispering it and then he did um Mm -hmm. you could tell there was a lot of shame and embarrassment around it for him so uh, yeah just kind of meeting him where he was and his comfort level and not letting my emotions of surprise or anger get in the way was very Mm -hmm. important um So he whispered it to me and he immediately said, oh, I feel like a huge weight has been lifted off my chest. I mean, he's five Mm -hmm. and it was, he was very articulate for a five-year-old and just being able to be aware that what he was holding on to and now he has this burden lifted off of him. Um, At first he did not tell me the full, you know, the full spectrum of what had happened. Um, and I fortunately had a very good friend who also, you know, kind of worked in this space with sexual assault. So she was kind of debriefing with me afterwards and she was letting me know, like, don't be surprised if more comes out. And so, Mm um, and again, I had had some experience with this, so I kind of knew that that was a possibility and yeah, he, um, he disclosed more over the next six months to a year, I would say. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, a few things trickle out now and again, um, more like stuff that he remembers that the person said or the person would, um, I guess, hold against him mm-hmm. um, because they do a lot of double binds with the victim or, um, you know, if you say this, then I'll do this, which, yeah. you know, we as adults know, okay, you're not going to do that, but... Mm-hmm as a child, that's, that's their whole world. They don't Mm -hmm. know any different. And so, um, stuff would trickle out, but yeah, as far as like the physical part of the abuse and the sexual part, 
that, and I tell other parents, like they're, when they troll out that first bit of information, it's really to see how you react Mm -hmm. and are you going to have their back? Do you believe them? Mm -hmm. Also, there's a lot intertwined with how is this going to affect my world and I know it. And so like the stability there, right? Um, We as adults are like, well, of course, this person who's doing this to my child has got to go, or maybe we have to distance ourselves, but it's so much more complicated than that in the child's mind. Mm -hmm. It could be an uncle, it could be a teacher, a coach, and they're rightfully so afraid of what the implications for them might be, Mm -hmm. whether their friends or family or that person will turn against them or smear them or whatever it is, you know, Um, and I always liken it to how... Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where it's hard to stand up to a bully, mm-hmm. even as adults. Um, yeah. I know even at my work, we have had circumstances where it's so hard to say something and mm-hmm. we're adults mm-hmm. and there's so much social, you know, so many social implications <laughs> there. Yeah. So um, it's the same way for children, even though they may not be able to explain it. So that's why little pieces come out at a time and they kind of wait to see how you react and um, see if it's a safe place for them to share more. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you, it sounded like you were really supportive and, you know, you said yourself, you kept pretty calm, right? Um, Even though you're in your brain, you're probably like, oh my gosh, wow. Um, But that, that, made such a difference, I'm sure, in that moment that you were, you know, supportive, believing your son, um, and just being really, really surrounding him with care. And that's, that's huge. That's so important. Yeah. Um, so maybe walk me through kind of what the process was in, you know, responding to that. So my daughter, Maddie, Mm. who was six, I believe at the time, she also disclosed, but she didn't really disclose until a few months after my son disclosed. And it was interesting because she definitely, I think, feels things a lot deeper mm-hmm. in a lot of ways uh, and has some more fear and anxiety just naturally. And so for her, is interesting to see because I think she was watching to see how we handled his disclosure. Mm-hmm. And then when she felt it was safe to come out and say something she disclosed a lot Mm. (laughs) um so immediately after since my son was the first to disclose um and while he's telling me this I'm holding him I'm stroking his hair I'm not asking really trying not to ask leading questions because depending on that person's position in the community or your family or whatever you want to do with this information you may want to press charges Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, well, I mean, there's a component about reporting it to the police if you want to do that. I know some Mm -hmm. families choose not to do that, depending again on their relationship with Mm -hmm. the person, um, and all of that. But I also knew that I had to not ask leading questions Mm -hmm. and that all of this could be, you know, recalled later. So, um, but I will say immediately after, um, he kind of told me that initial, I guess, sexual abuse part, I felt numb. I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember a lot, but um, we did call the police um, to report it. 
um, I called my husband and he came home to support us. And I think it was hard too, because like our kids are in activities and stuff that they really enjoyed and looked forward to. So it was also like, do they go to school tomorrow? Do they go to their, you know, basketball practice tonight or gymnastics or whatever they're, you know, Girl Scouts, whatever it is, um, to kind of just keep that consistency because obviously it's a big deal, but you know, I'm, yeah, it was hard because our daughter actually, um, it disclosed, I think we were literally about to go out to trick or treat on Halloween night. Mm. And so we were like, do we go trick or treat still? I mean, they're right. all in their costumes. Like she dropped this bomb on us and we were like, Oh, and, and we still went trick or treating. It was, it wasn't the same, but, um, yeah, just to go back to the day when my son, uh, first disclosed, yeah, we called the police. He, um, they sent someone out who was so kind. I know that that's, I don't know how much police are trained in response to that, but they actually, the little information that I had received from my son, um, the police person was taking the report and they were like, I was starting to go into some detail and we were just scratching the surface at the time, unbeknownst to me, but the police person was like, I'm going to have you, I'm going to stop you there. I don't even need to talk to him. This is more than enough. I don't want to traumatize you anymore by like having you repeat anything. So Mm -hmm. she was so understanding and kind about it. Um, But um, yeah, from there, um, yeah, the immediate aftermath was, Um, My son actually was throwing tremendous tantrums. Mm. It's almost like, you know, a lot of people say like there are signs to watch out for to see if like signs of sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. um, you know, smearing poop on the wall, like different things like that. And honestly, nothing, none of the signs really came out until after they disclosed. It's almost like they were holding everything in Mm. and then felt safe to just let everything out in their bodies just like let loose with that um so yeah he was going mute he um he let me think um was having humongous tantrums Mm -hmm. he was getting really really bad migraines that persist to this day they started almost immediately um he had uh, stomach problems. Um, the doctor also did an exploratory surgery, a colonoscopy to make sure nothing was left up there. Um, and just to make sure everything was okay. He, yeah, he, he still has some intestinal issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've gotten better. We've had to work through that. Um, and like digestive issues. And I know a lot of it is, was in response to the trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, let me think. Yeah, there was, there were a lot of breakdowns. And also I think there were honest conversations that needed to happen. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, I didn't feel protected. I tried to say something, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't, I didn't, you know, in their own words, you know, they're Mm -hmm. kindergarten, first grade. And that's valid. Like, I understand that. And I let them be angry at us Mm -hmm. yeah, without taking offense and Mm -hmm. just being able to say what they needed to say. Um, 
And it's hard to hear as a parent. Sure. Like it's not something you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, from our perspective, we did do everything that we could within our power and our mm-hmm. knowledge. But from their perspective, you know, they felt powerless and right. unheard. Mm-hmm. Um, so just giving them that voice back and mm-hmm. letting them know that, like, we hear them. And when we when they did speak up, we did everything you know, that we could in our power to make sure that this person did not have access to them. Um, On top of that, you know, just assessing any other adults that come into our life or people. Um, Because I know it doesn't, isn't always adults. It could be a teenager or something. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, there are a lot of those very frank conversations and um, just really setting aside your ego (laughs) and, you know, saying, I understand, I understand that you feel that way. And Mm -hmm. I would be upset too. (laughs) I would be very upset. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That could not have been easy, but, um, yeah, I could see that being very empowering for them to be able to, you know, finally get all of this off their chest. Like you were saying earlier, um, they were just, caring so much, um, you know, um, and yeah, it's, it's awful that they were manipulated into, you know, thinking that they couldn't tell you sooner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so awful. Um, so it was reported to law enforcement and luckily you did have a good experience with that initial report. Um, I know training really varies depending on, right. right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming, you know, they did an investigation. Was that a really long process? Yeah. So that's the interesting thing. Um, the investigation actually, I want to say lasted almost three years. Wow. Um, I'm not sure why it took that long. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have two victims um, mm-hmm. in the case. Um, and... Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure why. I remember it was almost a year. Well, they had they definitely had us come down several times to do different interviews um, at the police station, our local police station, and then interviews with the kids. There were, um, there were just a lot of interviews, <laughs> I remember, and doctor's checkups that we mm. needed to see, and psychiatrists or counselors or whatever, um, who had to do their assessments. It was a lot. So now when I see these, you know, court cases on TV, I'm just like, the, the fact that they even get to trial, I'm just like, I know what you guys have been through a little mm-hmm. piece of it because it was yeah. exhausting. I mean, there were so many times we were like, why are we doing this? Like, mm-hmm. and it, cause it wasn't for us. That's mm-hmm. not, it's not going to bring us justice. And it wasn't, mm-hmm you know, we already knew they weren't going to have access to our kids anymore. However, mm-hmm. they were truly doing it for the greater community. And, right. um, and what we've saw, and I don't know how, you know, if there are statistics to back this up, but it seemed to me that what we were seeing was that whatever a person is charged with when it comes to like sexual abuse or varying degrees of it, they always end up getting a lesser sentence. Mm-hmm. And, um, final charge or whatever it's called. And so I tell my friends, like, whatever you see that's on their sex offender list, like it's, 
it was usually probably worse and probably multiple victims. Like by the time they're actually convicted and charged with all that, like it's been dropped down a lot, negotiated, like the victims are tired, they're exhausted. They don't want to say anything. And if it involves children, um, we actually made the decision to not have our kids testify. Mm -hmm. So we, I think we did a plea deal with the defense team, Mm -hmm. but we didn't tell them that we didn't want the kids to testify. Our attorneys knew that the prosecutors knew that, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we, we, at that point it was, it was too much. And, and it was several years later and we Mm -hmm. didn't want anyone, I guess we didn't want them on the stand being questioned and them having them feeling like they were being questioned or not believed. Right. Even though we understand that that's how the legal system works and that that's how they cross examine someone. But, Mm -hmm. uh, we just made kind of a decision there to say, no, we're done. And now that our kids are older, it's funny because there is a little um, reopening of the case, if you will, Mm. recently. And um, they were like, well, why didn't we go to trial? And now that they're older, they're like, yeah, put me on the stand. And we explained to them, like, we just had to work with what we had at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was so Mm -hmm. traumatizing. And yeah, if you were older, maybe, and and could decide for yourself. But it was, yeah, we just had to make that decision as a parent and stand by it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You wanted to protect your, your children from further harm. It can be so rough to be on the stand and um, yeah, you know, like those couple of years that, you know, were between, you know, the time that it was reported, that's so long for a child. That's like a good fraction of their life. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Ooh, wow. Um, so you did get connected to KSARC at some point. Um, how did that happen? Yeah, I had called into the hotline number. Oh, okay. I, I think like, gosh, I can't remember now if the police referred me or if somehow, somehow I got the number. And um, yeah, I was connected right away. Um, they hooked us up with a legal advocate and counseling right away. They do the 12 week program. Um, So each of my children went through it. Um, My oldest Avery was suffering from secondary trauma herself, Mm. as well as, you know, when she was um, solicited, I guess, for lack of a better word, I don't know what else to say, but, um, and then her, cause I think she was the first one that um, the abuser tried to, I guess, get at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they realized, oh, she's not budging or mm-hmm. like that's not working. And so then they kind of went down wow. the list there, um, which you can also see. I mean, I think younger kids are easier to manipulate mm-hmm. and all of that. So, yeah, they got all went through the 12 week program. Um, my uh younger daughter Maddie at the time needed extra help Mm -hmm. um and just some extra counseling um so her counselor was amazing they were all amazing they met them where they were they um um but yeah she needed extra counseling so I think she went for 16 weeks instead of Mm -hmm. the 12 which is great um they also do follow-up sessions anytime if you need Mm -hmm. it they work 
Um, but they, it's really intensive and it's mm-hmm. really about, you know, naming what happened mm-hmm. and, um, understanding how your brain responds to trauma, mm-hmm. which is so helpful. And you would think that like a five-year-old wouldn't get it, but the mm-hmm. way they explain it to them is just so helpful. Like, this is why you're feeling what you're feeling, you know? Um, so yeah, it was very helpful. I recommend awesome. it to anyone. I mean, I hope I don't have to recommend it to sure. <laughs> because, you know, the circumstances, but I am a huge, like, I actually just, um, a friend is going through something and mm. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, you have to get connected to KSARC. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. When I learned about like trauma specific therapy, I'm like, this is amazing that healing is possible in this way. Um, and I wish more people had access to it because um, it's a game changer. And yeah, the fact that, you know, we can work with like five-year-olds on this is, yeah. wow, it's it's just pretty mind-blowing. Um, and then you and your husband, I'm guessing, went through the parent education and family support services. Yeah, yeah we did that. Um, to be honest, it was probably more helpful to him. Mm. I, and most of the reason for me, I was just in a very, very depressive state. Um, I personally had never experienced depression before Mm -hmm. and I actually reached out to my doctor to get help. Um, I think I was on a low dose of Zoloft or something at the time Mm -hmm. for a few months. I didn't love how it made me feel because it made me very sleepy, but it actually, because I was crying every night like Mm. every night I was crying and um it was just so much I mean Mm -hmm. if you saw our calendar at the time it was like you know four appointments at KSARC every week and that and then interviews follow-up interview I mean it was it was insanity and Mm -hmm. um it was just too much it was like a full-time job and then debriefing after the inner or after Mm -hmm. the counseling sessions with the children and their breakdowns and then my breakdowns. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, but we also had it times three, you know, maybe if it was just like one child for you, Mm -hmm. it might be different, but, um, yeah, no, they definitely do a lot of wraparound support and, um, make sure that everyone in the family is supported because again, it's not just the child that goes through it. It's Uh auntie, it's grandma, it's parents, uncles, Uh like everyone who's close to that child and um, sees and feels the effects of their trauma. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. My heart goes out to you. There (laughs) must've been like so much emotional labor that you were just doing 24 seven. That is exhausting. Oh my goodness. It was exhaust. It was it was exhausting. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, can you talk more about like maybe the day-to-day of parenting three, you know, survivors essentially? Yeah. yeah. I think I have a unique perspective in, in that each of my children have a different personality and different way that they responded to the trauma and how it played out in their lives practically. Um, so, yeah, the everyday, let's see, we'll start with my oldest, Avery. She tended not, she's a little bit more quiet anyhow and introverted. So 
naturally, I think she was more closed off. Mm -hmm. And so again, there's where case art comes in. Their counseling really helped with that and draw her out and gave her a place to talk that wasn't her parents. Mm -hmm. Um, She did talk with us, but um, she's just more a more reserved child anyhow. So um, it was just great to have that extra support. And she definitely had suicide ideation. She Mm -hmm. felt guilt. Um, They worked with her through that. Um, also her being the oldest, I think she was more aware of like what was going on and the long-term effects of abuse than Mm -hmm. say a five-year-old. Um, and yeah, let's see my middle Maddie. Um, yeah, again, the younger two actually had some similar, um, I guess, behaviors that were happening over the next year or two after the disclosure, um, one of the things that was interesting was that Maddie had, I'm not sure what the clinical <laughs> diagnosis is, but it was like catastrophe syndrome or whatever, where like, just, oh my gosh, like you couldn't listen to the news or even mm. mention any, like at the time there were a lot of fires happening in Washington oh and like earthquakes happening in California. So good grief. Like if she even heard about that, I mean, it would be tremendous breakdown, oh. anxiety for days. I mean, it was, it was really bad and it totally makes sense. And the counselors did work with her through this, but, um, it made sense because she, the worst thing that could happen in her little life happened. So what's Mm -hmm. to say that the fire is not going to burn up her home, (laughs) you know, or get to her as much as we would reassure her, like you're safe. Mm -hmm. It was also being mindful of her, our wording with her, like, Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, don't be crazy. That's not going to happen. Right. Like, obviously you don't want to mm-hmm. say that too, mm-hmm. because it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's always a possibility that anything could happen mm-hmm. um, regardless of the best prevention or mm-hmm. what you think to be prevention techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that catastrophe syndrome. I think one of the hardest things, and I kind of touched on this with you when we talked earlier, like it was so difficult to um, obviously it was before quarantine way mm-hmm. before that. So we were out and about, we'd be in the grocery store, we'd be at their various sports practices or schools. And, um, they would be having these humongous tantrums mm. and breakdowns over little triggers here and there or whatever. And it was so bad. And I got so many just weird things from other parents who didn't naturally didn't understand. Right. I mean, how would they know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't saying anything to other peers and parents just because I I had initially said to a few trusted friends and to be honest, their responses were mixed. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them were very compassionate and just empathetic and what can I do to help? Mm-hmm. Um, and And then there were a few and they honestly didn't, I don't think they really meant to react this way, but it was, there was a very strong fear reaction of, Mm. well, well, what did you do? Or like, what? Mm. Oh, well, I don't, or my kid doesn't go there or what, you know, our kid, you know, doesn't go to that school or what, you know, fill in the Mm -hmm. blank, you know, Mm -hmm. if it's a coach, if it's an, well, well, we don't have uncles, so that could never happen or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like they rationalize mm-hmm. um, it for them and then are like, oh, phew, okay. That's, and, and it, it makes sense. Like we as humans try to make sense of our world mm-hmm. and figure out, okay, am I safe? Yeah. And 
unfortunately, abuse doesn't work that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, sexual abuse, especially of children. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, it's so mean, manipulative. And I know we can talk about this later, but like the grooming, uh-huh. most of it is focused on the parents and the community yep. and their image. Uh-huh. And so um, it's actually the opposite of what you would think. But yeah, the breakdowns in public were the hardest. Um, my son was I was getting a call from the principal's office. And again, this happened right after his disclosure um, every week, literally every week I would get a call. And that was another thing that was happening. He was Mm -hmm. getting in fights um, and it wasn't him initiating fights because they were very clear about that. They were like, you know, Luke is an amazing leader in his class. Like he has so many friends, but it would be a kid who would lunge at him or die for a ball near him. And he's thinking, my natural reaction. I have to defend myself right. um, because there was physical abuse wrapped up in his sexual abuse as well. Um, it was, that was an interesting aspect of it. So we're having talks with the school every week mm-hmm. and the principal and then him on top of everything else, feeling like he's a bad kid because he's getting oh, in these fights. Yeah. And yeah. So we started tracking, <laughs> um, incremental progress mm-hmm. and it's something a friend talked to me about like don't look at you know about you had a bad week or a bad day or whatever just kind of look at the overall picture are his calls from school going down <laughs> over time are are you having more better days than breakdown days um so we kind of started to look at the overall health of it that way knowing full well too that once they reach puberty, all of this could be undone. And, you know, there would be other questions we'd have to answer. But Mm -hmm. for the meantime, it was like, we need to keep other children around them safe. Um, Because obviously, I don't want anyone getting hurt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you just see how far reaching that trauma is, you know, one person gets um, abused even one time. And that can affect the classroom that can Mm -hmm. affect so many other, you know, people exponentially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Um, and I can imagine, yeah, that's even more work for you to have to have those conversations with the principal and probably the teachers and kind of, you know, having to explain to them, like, this is trauma. This is not them just acting out for the hell of it. Um, all of that. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And what's interesting is my son particularly has really wanted to tell each of his teachers every year. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and as he's gotten older, he's wanted to even talk to his friends about what happened to him and just share that he's very communicative in that way. Um, When we're at Harborview actually getting there, I think we went to Harborview either the day disclosed or later the next day. Anyways, they're also a great resource. Mm -hmm. Um, But the psychologist spoke to me afterwards and said, your son is, has a very high emotional intelligence. Mm. And that is, she said, in part to your parenting, but also I think it's made it a little easier for him to talk um, and be able to identify his emotions and what he's going through. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's also kind of been a a tricky fine line that we've dealt with. Like, okay, okay. It's okay to tell your teachers and I can help come along and explain some things to them. And most of all his teachers are so great and understanding, but also like, okay, your friends, you know, they're at different levels of understanding and we don't want to traumatize them, but Mm -hmm. also 
yeah, it's, he's told, I think two friends. Um, and one friend was at school recently and I actually got a call from the principal's office because the parent was concerned and was like, my, my son came home with this information and the principal got involved because oh, she was like, I'm just checking in, but also he needs to be aware of how much he shares because it could traumatize other children, which mm-hmm. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about that too. Cause I understand, but yeah. also, you know, I'm like, who knows if that kid, you know, yeah. Maybe it would empower them to say something. And mm-hmm. and we have spoke to Luke about the language that he uses too. So um, it's not just like, you know, an uneducated, like, oh, you know, I had sex or what, you know, it's right. not that. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, this mm-hmm. is sexual abuse. And yeah, um, yeah so oh, good. Okay. that's been an interesting, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, can you, can you kind of speak to like maybe what you kind of talked a bit about, um, things that you did to help yourself out in this time, but what else kind of helped you just make it through every day? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I went on walks and I would go running um, not for like eight miles or anything, just like two miles. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and it was even good for my kids to see that because at one point, um, my sister picked them up to take them to the beach. It was the summertime. I think it was like the next year. And this, this just shows you how, how hard it hit me. And my sister was like, Hey, your kids just said, I was like, where's your mom? And they're like, Oh, she's, probably in bed again, like always. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) so I, that too was kind of a, okay, I need to (laughs) like, they notice your energy and they're very aware of it. Yeah. I mean, I think kids, especially who come from abusive homes or have been through sexual abuse on whatever Mm -hmm. level, they become very um, aware of other people's um, of the energy around them. Right. Right. Um, because they're constantly kind of assessing, is this safe? Is this person like what's going on here? Mm -hmm. So yeah, forcing myself to get out, um, walk, run, whatever it is. Um, it helped honestly to just not think about everything that we are going through with the trials or the, Mm -hmm. I guess the cases. Cause we, we also did a civil case, which I don't have to get into, but that was going on at the same time with all the psychiatric evals and all that but um watching comedy shows reading um about how the brain works Mm -hmm. and yeah that really helped me when the case our counselors would talk to me about literally how your brain changes with trauma right um, and really studying up on that um yeah that helped and And just repeating to myself that this is a new sense of normal. Like Mm -hmm. we just aren't going to get back to what life was like before. And it's a hard thing to accept, Mm -hmm. but I just had to keep telling myself that this is a new, new normal for us. Yeah. 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 Oof. Um, If you could go back and, you know, in time and tell yourself anything, like give yourself any advice. Um, do you have anything that you would say? 
I would say, you know, obviously you hear this a lot, but it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, um, I think no, yeah, you can't, whatever has happened has happened already. Um, And so if you keep replaying that, you're, you're going to live in anger. Mm -hmm. Um, So just really focusing on your child's healing um, and kind of working outside of yourself because a lot of depression is tied towards those inward Mm -hmm. introspective kind of feelings and dwelling in that space. So yeah, really focusing outward. And then, yeah, like I said before, measuring um, any success incrementally um, and not just looking at it like, oh, we went backwards because we had a a bad day or there was Mm -hmm. a, a breakdown. And we hadn't had one for six months. Um, and that's okay. Like, th- just expect that. That's going to happen. Um, and, yeah, finding some safe friends that you can call and vent to um, who aren't going to judge you. That mm-hmm. was kind of, like I said, a trial and error there. Right. Because um, that was very hurtful. Um, again, unintentionally hurtful. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so let's let's talk about like what can we do to end sexual violence for good? Yeah, this is one thing that I've definitely been been a strong advocate for. I think um first of all just wa- watching our language and how we speak about sexual violence, sexual abuse and trauma um and really understand that yeah, in some cases obviously like sex trafficking or I mean, you know, there are always outlier cases and I don't Mm -hmm. want to dismiss that at all, but um, for a large majority of cases, especially of again, child um, sexual abuse, it is manipulation and Mm -hmm. grooming of parents, caregivers and the community and Mm -hmm. perpetrators really have a certain image. There's generally like kind of two types of sexual abusers. There's, the opportunistic type who, you know, they see a child, easy access, they maybe have never thought of this, but it's like, eh, it, it, I'll take the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it's a one-off thing usually. Um, no less traumatizing, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. But, and then there are the rest of them who are usually what we see in the news and people are aghast and shocked mm-hmm. that how could Larry Nasser, you know, the gymnastics coach or this person you know, do this um, because of their great and shiny image and Mm -hmm. that they all, they all just innately know how to groom the adults around them. Mm -hmm. And I really struggled with that because when you talk about prevention, um, it's interesting because I, again, brought this up to the counselors there and I was Mm -hmm. like, it's so hard though, because then you're walking around like, oh, that person's too nice with my family, Mm -hmm. maybe they're on, maybe they're up to something. Yeah. You kind of don't want to go into that area either because then you're suddenly becoming paranoid and suspicious about Mm -hmm. everyone. (laughs) And so, I mean, they agreed with me. They're like, no, yeah, it's, it's a fine line. And, um, it just, it takes practice and it's, it's hard to know, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, I think now that I've become a little bit more familiar with it, but again, too, you don't want to like falsely accuse someone or have suspicions of someone if they're just genuinely like a great 
preschool teacher or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's going the other way. So, um, and I, as far as prevention goes, I knew all about this. Like I remember my mom telling us and coaching us because she had had her own experiences. Um, so she was, I would say, hypervigilant with us. Mm-hmm. And so I was very aware. I had friends who had been sexually abused by at a young age too. So I kind of knew like their stories and I felt like I was so hypervigilant. Um, and that was some of the feedback I got from other mom friends who were like, you're the most hypervigilant mom when it comes to this. And you you talk to your kids, they know, and yet it still happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just shows how powerful the, that manipulation and image game is for the perpetrators. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And how it's their responsibility for choosing to do those actions, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Any any other thoughts? Um, I know that you, you've talked a lot about kind of an understanding of trauma too. Um, I don't know if that necessarily plays into like prevention, but I think it could be helpful for, you know, educators and people that work with young people to understand that way they can kind of identify. So the University at Buffalo, New York has a great social work program and uh, trauma-informed care certificate that I was able to get into and received. Um, And it helps with my work anyhow, Mm -hmm. but it was so good in just reinforcing various parenting tactics um, and just kind of even exposing myself to various ways to help people with trauma. Um, they go over suicide, um, sexual abuse, obviously PTSD, mm-hmm. um, different things. And actually it was very instrumental in us. I never wanted a dog, but mm-hmm. when we had the opportunity to have a dog given to us, <laughs> an older dog um, who was calm, mm-hmm. um, I jumped at it because I had learned how how much um, animals are so helpful Mm -hmm. um, with healing and trauma. And actually my son Luke was like, it was maybe six months after we got the dog. And he said, mom, the dog saved my life. I love living now. And he just like, it's one, it's so helpful. And like, if they need to calm down, we talk about, okay, do you want to take the dog and like go cuddle with them in your bed for a little bit and listen to some favorite music, but it's, I mean, just practical things like that and exploring mm-hmm. different options. It was so helpful. Um, obviously, they do offer one-off classes too, but um, it's I was so hungry for knowledge. So just having that knowledge base. Um, and then again, also helping um, talk about it with not only my kids, but other parents who now are going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. Building Resilience is a project of King County Sexual Assault Resource Center, or KSARC, located in Renton, Washington. KSARC works to provide direct services to all victims and survivors of sexual assault in King County, Washington. Visit our website at kcsarc.org and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at kcsarc. Or send us an email to education at kcsarc.org. If you've experienced sexual assault or abuse, you are not alone. There are resources to support you in your healing process. There are community sexual assault programs similar to KSARC around the country. Visit the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network at rainn.org to find resources near you. 
Thank you to Stephanie for sharing your story with us and to our super producer, Logan Vesey, for editing and production support and for making this project possible.